0: Oh, good morning. That was beautiful, makes me wish we could play Christmas carols more often in the year. Mm. Well, Christmas has passed, Christmas Day at least passed. And the year 2015 is coming to an end. We have a new year coming in a few days. Now it's common at this time of year, some people make what are called New Year's resolutions. They usually take the form of some kind of promise to oneself to better oneself or improve oneself. Now, I looked up a few of the common resolutions online just to see well, what, what do people resolve for the next year? And here's some of the common ones I resolve to lose weight. <laughs> I promise that I will exercise every week. I promise to quit smoking. I promise to quit drinking. I promise I will spend more time with family. I resolve to handle stress better. Now, there's nothing wrong with the desire expressed in a lot of these resolutions. The fact is, you know, maybe it is good for me to lose a few pounds. If I am engaged in a bad habit like smoking, well, I should probably stop smoking. And probably it would be good for me to spend more time with family and strengthen family relationships. That's a healthy thing. And yet, as good as the intention behind these resolutions are, and as strongly as people resolve before New Year's Eve to do these things, people have a very very low success rate with New Year's resolutions. now I just want to um, get an idea of what people think. I'm gonna throw the question out. How many people do you think, what percentage of people actually accomplished their New Year resolution? Anyone have a guess? 2%? 2%? Anyone else? 10%? Okay, actually, no. Um, people are actually pretty close to that. It's actually close to 10%. It's actually a little better, if people, if people are being honest, that is, on the survey. <laughs> so, according to, I looked up a study, and this is done in 2007. A man named uh, Richard Wiseman from the University of Bristol in England, he took a survey of 3,000 people who made New Year's resolutions. And out of those, 88% of those who sent New Year's resolutions failed. So it was about 10% that actually worked, you could say, 12%. Uh, But 88% failed, despite the fact that more than half of them were very confident of success going into the resolution. They thought, this should should not be too hard. And the fact is, people often start out strong with their resolution. Now take that, exercise resolution, the fact that the, the, the resolution that I've promised to exercise every week. Well, I can say I've done some observation. Like, I go to a certain gym in Union City, and my instructor has told me, you know, watch out for this. And I've, I've watched over the year, and I said, oh, you're right. Because what happens is, in January, the gym is packed. <laughs> yeah. Everyone is trying to exercise. But then, things begin to taper off. The numbers begin to get a little less in February, and the hemorrhage of people leaving class just continues. And then by the time you get to November and December, classes can be pretty empty at the gym. Now, this seems kind of sad, because in a way, you think it should be theoretically easy to keep these resolutions. I mean, in theory, in terms of resolving to lose weight, it should be a relatively simple thing to cut out of my diet the things that are not good for me. I don't have to buy certain things or eat at certain places. I can choose to simply take some things off my shopping list and not eat out at an unhealthy place. It should be a simple matter of choice and ask for that um, exercise goal, that resolution, well, I mean, it's not like the gym is 100 miles away. It should be, in theory, a simple matter for me to get in my car, drive to the gym a few minutes, and have a workout. And some of us don't even have the excuse of having to go into a car. Some of us have some exercise equipment right in our home. But for some reason, it doesn't get used very often. Now, in regards to um, that smoking resolution I mentioned about I resolved to quit smoking, well, I looked up a paper from the Journal of the National Cancer Institute on just how well do people do when they resolve to quit smoking. And it was a sad statistic. About 90% of people who attempt to quit smoking are back to smoking again in one month. So I've just given you some very sad numbers. So the question is, why do we fail so often? What's wrong here? Well, a lot of it probably has to do with our sinful condition. So I'll just read a few verses. This is in Romans chapter seven, verse 18. This is Apostle Paul talking about our condition. In his condition, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. And elsewhere, talking about the condition of the human heart, The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? Now as I mentioned before, a lot of these New Year's resolutions are geared towards self-improvement. But the fact is, it is not in my nature to improve myself. According to the Bible, I'm a naturally sinful person with a natural tendency to do the wrong thing and not the right thing. And as believers, we still struggle with a sin nature. Now, there might be a small minority of people who are disciplined enough to to keep a New Year's resolution. But most people don't succeed in these promises to themselves. And we think about, it's really hard to improve self when self is desperately sinful. So as a believer, should I be making New Year's resolutions? Well, let's look at what the Bible says. Well, that word um, resolution, that doesn't actually appear in the Bible, but there's a couple words that are pretty close to it. Perhaps the words vow or oath you can use in place of resolution. Now in the Old Testament we see in um, Numbers chapter six, we see um, Old Testament laws regarding the Nazarites who made a vow. In the New Testament we see the Apostle Paul, he's um, seen a couple times making vows. It says in Acts chapter 18 verse 18, I'll just read it. It says, "A Paul at Corinth, so Paul still remained a good while, then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Senchria, for he had taken a vow. And again later in chapter 21 of Acts, we see Paul takes another vow. And he did this according to a Jewish custom as a way not to offend the Jews in Jerusalem. Now of course the Apostle Paul, you know, he's a very godly example of how believers should live. But in regards to these vows, it's a little hard to imitate him. Because the fact is, we don't know very much about these vows, it's not really given in detail. We don't know exactly what Paul vowed, or how long he made a vow for. It's possible that Paul was taking this vow as a way where he might um, become all things to all men as he says in 1 Corinthians, a way that he might become the Jews as a Jew, that he might win Jews. However, as for us in 2016, we're probably not likely to ever come across the situation where we're gonna try to make a vow to become as Jews to win Jews over to the Lord. The fact is a lot of Jewish people these days probably don't know what a Nazarite vow is. And actually, if you've been going to the recent uh, 10 o'clock class on the Sermon on the Mount, you can see there's plenty of scripture actually against taking an oath or a vow. But just turning briefly to Matthew chapter five. This is chapter five, verse 33. And this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Uh, on, on his Sermon on the Mount. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Really, when you're putting yourself under a vow, or oath, or resolution, you could be putting yourself under a very heavy burden that you're not able to keep. And you could be causing yourself a lot of unnecessary guilt That passage in number six, um, where it deals with the Nazarite vow, it's really a part of the Old Testament law. And the apostles in Acts, when confronted with people who were claiming that it was necessary for Gentiles to keep the law in order to be saved, they came back with this answer. They said, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? If I put myself under a vow, I may be putting a burden on myself that I'm unable to bear. So, I've spent a lot of time talking about why we should not be making resolutions or vows or oaths. That being said, it's not a a bad thing. It's actually a good thing to have goals for the year. actually a practice done at my workplace every year. I have to have a meeting with my boss, and we talk about what would I like to see done this coming year. Is there something that you would like to accomplish or achieve this coming year? Now, you might ask, well, why set goals for the new year? And the fact, the fact is, though, it's 2016. Time may be very short for us here on Earth. We don't know how much time we have left. In Ephesians 5.16, believers are commanded to redeem the time because the days are evil. In one of the Psalms, Moses says, so teach us to number our days that we may may gain a heart of wisdom. And one year can go up can go by surprisingly quickly. I think as I've been getting older, I notice time seems to go faster. Now what do you do when you have a limited supply of something? Let's say you have limited funds to deal with in your bank account. Well, if you know you have a limited resource, you're very careful how you use it. You budget. And that can go for time as well. If I know I'm dealing with limited time, then I have to carefully allocate where I put my time. What am I involved in? It could be the Lord may come back this very year. So in having goals for the year, it can help us portion our times out and make our days count for the Lord. Now, I could make it a goal to um, do some of those things I mentioned in the beginning. I could make it a goal to lose weight or to exercise more often. I can make it a goal to get an A average if I'm in school or get a good performance review at work at the end of the year. But the fact is my life is really not my own. It says as believers we belong to the Lord So my goals should not be my own either. If I'm a believer, I should really be asking, what would the Lord like me to accomplish this year? If I'm going to be doing goal setting, I need to make sure that my goals are in accordance with the will of God and that they're glorifying to Him and pleasing to Him. Something I should ask myself as I'm making these goals. Are my goals realistic? Now, this was one of the reasons why people failed at their New Year's resolutions. They made a resolution that was something that was very hard, if not impossible, to achieve. I'll give an example. Someone who resolves to lose 40 pounds by February, that's probably not gonna happen. You're probably setting yourself up for failure. And just like in the physical realm, spiritually you have to understand there are certain things that, may, that might be out of my power or beyond my ability to achieve. Can I make it a goal to see someone I know get saved? Well, I can pray for someone's salvation, I can make it a goal to share the gospel with them, but I cannot actually save someone. It says, you know, oftentimes in the, in the Bible, that salvation is of the Lord, not of any other person. And there are many events that are outside my control. Like I can't make it a goal that um, me and my wife are gonna have kids next year. I just don't know. But there are many areas of my life where I can set goals. As I look back on the year, on this year, 2015, how is my relationship with the Lord? Could it happen better? Could it be better? How's my relationship with my family, with my spouse, with my children, if you have them? Could those relationships be better? How am I doing in my ministry? am I doing at work or at school? These are all areas of my life I can set goals. I must even know I work as a physical therapist. I'm actually involved in setting goals just about every day with the patients I see. Now the things my patients want to accomplish will sound very very small to a lot of you because they're things that we often take for granted. Um, Perhaps I had a patient who was in a pretty bad car accident Their goal for the next two weeks with me is they seriously wanna be able to just walk 25 feet to the bathroom to be able to use the bathroom by themselves. But two months out, they might have a long-term goal. Two months out, they wanna be able to get out of the house and walk 200 feet and hopefully um, be able to visit their um, relatives outside their home and get together with someone for dinner. Something I was always taught in school was to always Work on goals with patients that were achievable, time-based, and measurable. Now in a study I read in New Year's resolutions, this was one thing that helped in people actually accomplishing their goal. To break down the goal and make goals that could be measured during the year. Little checkpoints, see how you're doing. And you could do this with your goals for the Lord. Perhaps I look back on this past year and I realize I'm convicted by the fact that I have not been spending enough time with the Lord. And I, wanna, I have that desire that I want to deepen my relationship with Him. I want to spend more time with Him. Now, I could make a very nonspecific, vague goal, saying, well, this year I'm going to make it a goal to spend more time with the Lord. or I could be more specific and focused. I can say, well, this year I'm gonna make it a goal to spend at least half an hour in prayer every day with the Lord. It could be you may have to work up that goal. You may have to break it down a bit. Perhaps you have not been used to having a long time of prayer with the Lord. Perhaps you might have to say, well, um, perhaps by by April I want to spend at least 15 minutes with, with the Lord every morning in prayer. Maybe I'm aware that my marriage could be better. Maybe I'm aware that I really have not been spending enough time having a heart-to-heart with my wife and knowing how she's doing. Now, rather than making a very non-specific goal, like, I'm gonna spend more time with my wife this year. Perhaps I can make it a goal saying, once a week, I wanna have a date night with my spouse and just have a couple hours where we can just talk. Maybe I've seen this past year that I can be more involved in ministering to the saints. Well, rather than just making a goal of being more loving and more encouraging, maybe I can make it a goal to once, at least once a month write a note of encouragement to a brother or sister. Or maybe once a month, exercise hospitality towards other believers. And here's a second thing um, that came out in a study. Something else that can really help you in accomplishing your goal, whatever it is for the year. That study I, I looked at on New Year's resolutions. This is something that was key to those who actually did succeed in carrying out their resolution and it was accountability. People were more successful in carrying out their resolutions when they made their goal public or confided in friends and family who gave them support about their resolution. And when you look in the scripture, there are plenty of examples in the scripture about accountability. When people had a mission to accomplish, they often did not go out alone. We see the Lord Jesus, when he sent out 70 of his, of his disciples, he didn't send them out alone. It says in Luke chapter 10, he sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And something good to notice about the apostle Paul he never went on his missionary journeys alone. He went in the company of like-minded believers, like Silas, like Timothy, and Barnabas. Now having an accountability partner can really help you stay on track with your goal, whatever it is. Especially if you're not doing well or if you're making mistakes, they can point out to you where are your blind spots, what are you missing? Now, I had experience me and Christina recently, just a few months ago, where I found it was really necessary that I had an outside pair of eyes to correct me on what I was doing. So a few months ago, Christina and I, we went out with a couple of our neighbors to an archery range. Now, I had never held a bow and arrow before in my life. And when you have a bow and arrow, you have a very clear goal. Your objective is to hit the target in front of you Uh, preferably to hit the bullseye. So when I went there, um, we had a few minutes instruction on the basics of how to hold a a bow and arrow, how to string it, how to shoot it, and then we were given the bow and arrow. And on my first uh, shot, I was very happy that I at least hit the stack in front of me. I was nowhere close to the bullseye, but at least I hit the stack. I was very happy with that. When I left myself, maybe just by continuing to practice um, on my own, I could have figured out how to get closer to that bullseye. But the fact was, um, the instructor was very helpful because they were able to point out some things that I was not noticing I was doing wrong. Like I had no idea that I was really tensing my left shoulder really high and that was impeding my shooting. Or I was really oblivious to the fact that I was not pulling back my right hand far enough as I shot the arrow. I could help with whatever our goal is for the year. If we're willing to take correction from a friend, from a, from a loving brother or sister, that can really help us in accomplishing our goal. The, the, fact, the fact is, I may be doing something incorrectly, but just not realize it. Now, there have been a number of times where I may have been teaching a Bible study, and I, I felt like I was right on. But then afterwards, a uh, brother told me, you know, you could've, I think you veered off the passage at this point, or you could've taught this point in a better way. And you know, the truth hurts. Sometimes you wanna think that you're doing something correctly and well, but you might not be. So, I mean, I have to be hum- have a humble attitude in terms of receiving godly correction. A well-meaning brother or sister can lovingly, can lovingly point out to me where I'm weak spiritually, where I'm not doing well, and where I may be off the mark. And besides being needed for correction, an accountability partner is important for another reason, as an exhorter and an encourager. I'll just read a verse from Hebrews. This is Hebrews 10, 24. And let's consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now let's talk about the stirring up of love and good works and exhorting one another. Now many of you know I'm very into working out every week. I go to the gym probably about four times a week. And um, at the, one of the gyms I go to, I have an instructor, his name is James Blake, and he's really good at pushing students. Now, I could work out on my own, but one thing I find, I tend, not, I tend to work to exercise much better when I have someone pushing me harder. If I don't have someone next to me pushing me harder, I may not be as inclined to push myself to my limits or go as far as I could. Perhaps after a long, weary day at work, I might have a little trouble finding motivation to start working out. So someone like James, he's a good instructor in helping me just to get out of my comfort zone. Because left myself, I might not pick up the weight that's as heavy as I'd be inclined to take. Like I might just wanna go easy and say, well, I'm just gonna pick up that 30-pound kettlebell and work out with that one. James, however, will give me a 50-pound kettlebell and say, okay, let's go with that one. So, or let's just punch that bag just a little harder. And spiritually, this can be the case, too. Yes, perhaps there is something I want to accomplish for the Lord, whether it's memorizing the book of the Bible or sharing the gospel with someone or leading a Bible study with people that will really connect with them. But there's times where we can get discouraged in accomplishing our goal. Perhaps I've tried memorizing part of the passage I want to get in my head, and I just feel like, well, I'm never gonna get this. This is too hard. Or perhaps I might get discouraged about witnessing to someone. I might be thinking, well, There's never gonna be a chance to share the gospel with this person. At this point, it helps to have a little encouragement from a brother or sister to keep on going. And perhaps I might get a little little lazy in regards to my year-end goal. Well, at that point, it can help if my accountability partner asks me Well, how's it going with that goal you want to accomplish? How's it going memorizing Matthew 5? Or how's it going trying to share the gospel with your friend? A little reminder can help get me back on track. Now, While setting goals can be a good thing, as I mentioned, getting our lives organized and focused on what the Lord wants, we shouldn't consider any of our goals set in stone. Because the fact is, we may have a goal for the year, it may be a good one, but the Lord may show that he has other plans, or he may want us to go in a different direction. Just to give you a few examples of a couple, some, a couple men of God who had goals and ambitions for the Lord's sake, but the Lord showed them he wanted something else. In 2 Samuel chapter seven, it's not, exactly stated, but at some point, King David must have thought to himself, I want to build a house for the Lord. I want to build the Lord a temple. But the Lord showed him that he didn't want him to do that. Looking at Acts chapter 16, we see the Apostle Paul trying to preach the gospel in different areas. And there are plenty of people that had to be saved in the places he was trying to go to. Paul may have thought at some point, I wanna share the gospel with those in Asia. He may have made it a goal of sharing the gospel to those in Asia, Mysia, Bithynia, and Troas. But the Lord changed Paul's direction and took him to Macedonia instead. Really, my goal should have at the end of them the phrase, Lord willing. If the Lord wills, I wanna do this for him. Now, perhaps you're here today and you're not a believer. Maybe you don't know who God is, who the Lord Jesus is. Well, I'd like to offer a goal for you this year. Make it a goal to seek the Lord. And it's, it's a goal that promises reward. It says in Hebrews eleven six that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As we look at the coming of this new year, there's a great potential for a lot to be accomplished. Now a year is 365 days. Sometimes it seems to go fast, but there's a lot that could be done in one year. Have you ever thought about what could be accomplished for the Lord in one year? Now in the world around us, a lot can happen to a person in one year. A person at work might secure a big promotion and get a pay raise. A student might do well in school and get a scholarship and go to a prestigious college. A couple might fulfill their desire of purchasing a house they've been saving up for for a long time. Or an athlete might train for a year and accomplish, uh, get championship standing in whatever they're competing in. But these are all things in the world. What can I accomplish for the Lord in one year? Just want to take a look at what one man of God did in one year that's mentioned in the scripture. Now it's a little difficult looking at the lives lives of the apostles in the book of Acts to sometimes figure out how much time exactly passed because it's not always mentioned how long exactly the apostles stayed in one area or how long it took for them to travel. But I was looking through um, a few passages in the book of Acts and looking at the events in Acts chapter 16 through Acts chapter 18. It really looks like all this happened in one year. So what happened in this one year of the life of Paul in chapter 16 to 18 of Acts? Well in that year, starting at verse 10, Verse 11, Paul and his companions went to Philippi. At Philippi, they saw Lydia, they saw the Philippian jailer and his family get saved. And they saw a church started there. Not to mention that Paul also cast a demon out of a Philippian girl. After Philippi, Paul and his companions went uh, to Thessalonica and spent a few weeks there. And there they saw a number of people also saved, and a church started there. Then Paul travels to Berea, where he also sees people saved. And after Berea, Paul goes to Athens, where it seems like he's there only for a short time, but he has a chance to preach the gospel there and see people saved. And then, from Athens, he goes to Corinth, where he preached the gospel to the Corinthians and saw a church established there. Now, Paul traveled about 350 miles with all these places he went to. Probably took him a few weeks to travel. And yet, he did all these things in one year. And that's not to say that every year, is that action-packed with people being saved right and left and with churches being established in every city you go to. Some years are years of staying exactly where the Lord wants you to be. And a year spent like this is just as pleasing to the Lord. Another year is mentioned uh, that Barnabas and Saul they stayed for a whole year assembled with the church and taught a great many people. So as we go into 2016, let's be ambitious for the Lord and see how we can redeem the time and make the most of the year ahead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the year to come. We thank you for the year that's passed. and. Lord, we want to be good stewards of the time you've given us. And we, if we look at the year ahead, Lord, we pray that it might be fruitful for you, that we might accomplish things that you want us to accomplish for your glory. We pray this in your son's name.